writing is the foundation of everything. I find that nothing really can get done without writing. So it's always been something that I have found myself doing. So when I joined the military, that was something I kept going with when I was on watch and stuff like that, writing poetry, writing lyrics. I feel pretty grateful that I had an opportunity to stay connected with that artistic side of me that was always very present in my life. There were so many downtime periods of boredom that just comes with a lifestyle that I was like, well, I'm going to write. Is that much of a, is that, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post-9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 63 features Benjamin Fortier, a United States Marine, author, and poet, whose book Phantoms was most recently published by Dead Reckoning Collective. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. Oh, we can mark clips. That's cool. I'm the only one! No! Welcome to the show, folks. It's your new host of Veteran Made. It's a hostile takeover. I've run a coup, and Carrie is no longer in the picture. Literally, he's not here anymore. All that was quick. Yeah, all right. I think we're good. Can you hear me now? Is that more clear? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. coming right. in a lot better. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, it was my internet. I just ran a speed test, so um we'll keep uh we'll keep some of these fun things in, you know, cuz this is a this is a uh this is a, you know, this is a show where uh we do things imperfectly and we we just kind of have fun along the way. So Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, so I'll jump I'll jump right back in and just say good morning, Ben. Welcome to Veteran Made. Glad to finally have you. Yeah. Thanks, Carrie. Really appreciate it, man. I've been a big fan of the show for Long time, so I'm um, gl- glad to be on this side of it and versus the audience side. Yeah, man, absolutely. I I, uh, I have uh, obviously felt and heard the support uh, for for a while now, and we've we've chatted offline a few times, whether it's just kind of one on one chats or or some stuff with Dead Reckoning. Um, but yeah, it's great great to have you, and I, I appreciate the support and feel it, and and know that it's not just uh, not just sharing to share. Like I know that when you share things and when you comments on things like I, I can feel the authenticity which uh which which is awesome that's that's fun to have appreciate it yeah man um cool so for those that don't know you uh i'd love it if you could just give us a, a brief primer on on kind of who you are when and where you served and then we'll jump into some some fun things that uh people might not expect yeah absolutely my name is ben fortier i grew up in uh rhode island very rural part of rhode island um, I joined the Marine Corps in 2005 after a long fascination with uh, military history, modern military history, specifically uh, the World War II and Vietnam era of American conflicts. Um, obviously, 9-11 happened when we were, you know, in our prime, we're about the same age. Um, that really kind of spurred the enthusiasm and uh, I enlisted in the Marine Corps Reserve in 2004 when I was 17. I went to boot camp in 05 and then joined a local reserve unit out of Massachusetts called uh, the 1st Battalion, 25th Marines. And very shortly after that, we deployed to the beautiful city 
of Fallujah in Iraq and uh, did about seven months of operations there, counterinsurgency, looking for bad guys, um, and then came back home and got back into the reservist life, basically, just uh, drilling, uh, doing the, the two weeks during the year thing, um, found myself struggling quite a bit, found myself uh, getting very... Um, just having a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress symptoms at the time, which I didn't quite realize. Um, and then I got a medical separation from the Marines in 2009. So I've been out for quite a while. Um, it was a very hard and fast career for me. I think I, I really kind of think I burned myself out. I was kind of hoping for more of, of like a, a longer term kind of thing uh, for the military. But it was also kind of like me test driving it. Joining the reserves was very, excuse me, it was very intentional in the sense that I was very fascinated by the military, but I wasn't sure if I was actually going to like it because I'm more of like a heady, intellectual, artistic type in, uh, you know, throwing around machine guns and mortars was, was uh, I don't know, it, it seemed badass to me, but I wasn't sure if I had like the fortitude. So, um, yeah, so I got out. <coughs> Pardon me. I got out in 09, and since then I have uh, been pursuing education. I've been working in the uh, digital media uh, field for about 10 years, and then I just recently transitioned into uh, IT and cybersecurity, and uh, that's kind of where we're at. And obviously I didn't talk about the books and the music and stuff like that, but I figured that's for you to set that up. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get into all of that. So, I mean, on that initial front, it's interesting because I – Obviously, I I knew you as a I've known you as a person um, before I've like known about your service. Right. And like what your experiences were like, I met you and then we talked and followed each other and did all that stuff. And then I as I read your work and heard more heard more things, I read about your experiences in combat. And and it, it's funny because you did you said that, right, like you were a little bit more on the kind of like artsy fartsy th side of things, but you still also had this fascination and this interest with that kind of like the high speed combat side of things. And so um, it's it's a it's cool to hear that you have that kind of self awareness. And then B, it's amazing to read your work as you as you work through that in, in yourself, right in in your in your uh, in your poetry. So when you said that, uh, so nine eleven kind of spurred some enthusiasm based on some studies that you had already done as a kid, right? Reading about history and all of that. What made you choose the reserves and what, instead of jumping like right into active duty, I'm curious. Yeah. Great question. I was initially very fascinated by the aspect of a, the, the national guard uh, where I grew up. Um, there's a lot of National Guard units, lots of Air Guard, Army National Guard. Um, so uh, when I realized that the Marine Corps had a part-time component and there were actually a couple local bases next to me, I was super intrigued because, um, you know, for me as a kid, you know, 13, 14 years old, I was super interested in, uh, you know, the Ranger Bat. Uh, you know, and obviously seals and green berets and all that stuff. That was like, whoa, like the coolest stuff, all that soft stuff. But, you know, like I said, I was very self-aware and I was like, dude, I would need to like get in way better shape. I need to like start like getting better at obstacle courses and stuff. Oh, that, that whole nine yards 
<clears throat> so I was like, let me try my foot in the culture, in the climate by doing the Marine Corps Reserve. And when I found out that they had an infantry battalion, I was like immediately like, yeah, I want to try that out because to me, like reserve infantry, you're still going to get that, um, that Marine Corps experience, right? You're still going to boot camp. You're still going to infantry school. You are learning the, the basic culture and foundation of what it means to be a Marine and not only a basically trained Marine, but also an infantry Marine the active and reserve dudes go to the same schooling. There's no separation of, of schooling at that pay, at that, you know, phase. Um, and then, you know, I, I guess traditionally reserve components just do a lot of infantry style training where they're going out to the fields, they're going out, they're doing gun ranges, blah, 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 blah. And that was the experience that I found myself too. It wasn't far off from that when I was drilling, but for me, it was just such a, boom, boom, boom thing. The first, when I checked into the reserve, uh, unit, they were already gearing up to go to Iraq. So they knew that, that we were going to Iraq. So to wrap up, uh, to and get back to your question, I guess to me, it was more or less just kind of a way to test the waters, test my own metal, um, see what, how I kind of jived with like the culture, with the lifestyle. And I did, I liked the infantry lifestyle a lot. I hated the garrison lifestyle and like that whole aspect of it. Um, but you know, when me and the boys were out down in the range, dropping mortars, I was a mortarman. That was my, uh, specifically with the 81, uh, millimeter system that was, I was assigned to a weapons company, which bigger weapons, uh, because you're not in a line unit, you're supported, uh, you're supporting the battalion level. So you got like the 50 cows, the two forties, big, big guns. So I was working on, on those mortars and it was just, it was cool. So to answer your question, I think it was just kind of a way to, to me to see how I like it and just kind of understand myself where I fit in this like thing that I like absolutely revered. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. It's something that I, I look back on my own experience um, and I kind of wish I would have done it that way. You know, like when I hear you describe it and, and when I hear about those experiences, like there's like, I had enough self-awareness to know I wasn't ready for college and that that first semester would not go well, you know, if I would have just left high school and gone straight to college, but I didn't quite have the self-awareness that you're describing where you knew you wanted to test certain things about yourself. You wanted to learn certain things about yourself. You wanted to experience certain things, but you had a little bit more maturity to kind of understand that there's a, a way that you can fit into an ecosystem uh, and experience it without like necessarily fully going in all the way. And I think that's actually a really great thing and a really great way to look at it. Um, and, and, you know, for, for those listening that, that might be deciding whether or not they want to join right on the other side of the transition, the transition in, it's a really good thing to consider doing, especially in, in these times as we've, as we're winding down the GWAT um, kind of, I guess, and then, and then winding up to whatever's next, like it's a, it's a good way to, it's a good way to approach it. Um, so, so thank you for sharing that. Um, when did you start writing? Did you start writing before the military, in the military, after the military? Yeah, that was something that I had always been doing. Um, I remembered being very into books as a kid uh, picking up reading and just loving it and finding myself entranced by the, 
you know, a lot of the stuff that we were assigned to read as a kid was, you know, just some of the shit that you would expect on a whatever, you know, teenage reading list and, or, you know, adolescent reading list in the nineties. Uh, but I was just entranced and, um, found myself just, uh, I've always had a, a very vivid imagination. So reading kind of opened up that kind of theater of the mind kind of thing, you know, kind of visualizing what's going on and stuff. And then fell in love with movies. Uh, you know, I think that's something that you and I share is, is, is that film connection. Um, uh, so, but writing, you know, to me now, uh, after having written for so long, you know, writing is really just the foundation of like everything for me anyway. And I find that there's just nothing really can get done without <clears throat> doing writing, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, it's always been something, uh, that I have, you know, uh, found myself doing. And like when I knew that I wanted to get into, um, media and stuff like that, I like had to have that grasp on writing because foundationally there's scripts that you got to worry about. There's, uh, you know, all that stuff that goes into creating a production is based on yeah. writing. So like creatively, though, uh, I was connected to, um, you know, I just had a lot of great teachers um, uh, that were, you know, just really good mentors that allowed me to, uh, you know, just kind of find my footing and find my voice uh, and um, more or less like just kind of expand a as a writer. Um, and so when I joined the military, that was something that I, uh, you know, uh, just kind of kept going with, uh, you know, when I was on like watch and stuff like that, I was writing poetry and uh, I was, uh, you know, writing lyrics and, and, and things like that. So I, I feel pretty grateful that I had an opportunity to stay connected with that artistic side of me that was always very present in my life. Um, so, you know, because I, I hear other conversations with, with guys and gals who join the military and they just don't, they're so in tune with their job or they're so focused on their job and whatnot that they just have to put that artistic stuff to the side. And for me, uh, you know, there are, there were so many downtime periods of boredom, you know, that just comes with the, the lifestyle that I was like, well, instead of, you know, I'm, I'm going to read, I'm going to write. And, you know, cause this was, you know, circa 2005, six, the, the cell phones, I was, I'm pretty sure I still had like a Nokia that you had to like, you know, fucking like, to just like takes 20 hours to text, you know, something. And so it wasn't like it is now where it's like, you know, you have handheld entertainment and stuff. Like I was reading magazines. Yep. I was fucking reading books. I was writing in my, my, you know, field journal and stuff. So just like a different lifestyle uh, from, from what it is now, but still there was that, that, intent for me to like be like all right well i don't want to you know this is very intrinsic to who i am and i don't want to you know have that just fucking killed and i'm just going to try and nurture it as best i can 
Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you had that experience because I, I had the same experience, you know, like when I, I was on the flight line, you know, in, at Bagram in 2008 and then 2010 and, you know, in between, in between sorties and in between loading bombs, there was just a ton of time. And, and uh, I think we had iPods, you know, so like there was music, but, but yeah, I was always reading. I always had a physical book. I always had a journal. I was writing, you know, little scenes or screenplay pages or dialogue or, or like, like little snippets or whatever here and there. And then kind of always reading and highlighting and marking and always doing this stuff. And did none of, none of the troops that I served with ever made fun of me for that. It was never like, it was never something that was, um, the, the military has been the biggest source of support for me on that front creatively. Like all of my buddies that I've served with, um, still even to this day, like, they're just like, when I got out at four years, they were like, yeah, dude, go do the art thing. Like, that's cool. And then today they just, they're still so supportive. Um, I'm glad you had a similar experience because, um, it's something that I don't think people probably realize about the military is that where it's actually not a place where, uh, that kind of thing gets shut down. It's actually people really do appreciate that there are, that there are people who can can uh, tell these stories in ways or just tell stories in general in ways that that like they might not be able to. It's not like a typical clicky uh, society or like environment like culture, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think that's really cool. And then back to the writing thing. I mean, everything is writing, right? Like, and and I, I learned that you know coming out of coming out of film school getting a degree in creative writing and then getting into, you know, advertising and digital media, I realized everything is writing. So yeah, yeah, you write the script or you write the copy or you write the post, whatever. But then at every step of the way through through the process of developing the creative, whatever it is, producing the creative, shooting content, you know, video or photo, and then editing all that, every step of the way is you're, you're writing. You're writing that story. And even like one social or digital post or one ad unit that you're seeing on a banner on the side of your you know, computer screen is a story. And there was multiple steps of writing along the way during the, as of this recording, the WGA strikes um, have ended. The actor strike is still going, but I remember hearing this story uh, about Deadpool, the Deadpool three movie that's coming out with Ryan Reynolds and, uh, and um, Hugh Jackman. Like they're, they're kind of like bringing the X-Men and the, the Avengers universe, like all together. And I remember they're saying that when the writer strike started and the actor strike hadn't started, um, they were still filming Deadpool three and Ryan Reynolds and the rest of the team were not allowed to um, improv on set hmm. during the strike because that's writing hmm. improvisation on a set while you're filming a scene is writing. Every single step of the way is writing. If you're developing story in any way, shape or form, you are writing. So even for those listening that aren't poets or aren't fiction writers or aren't essayists or aren't whatever, writing is such a key component to how we experience the world uh, that getting the skill or at least getting the appreciation for the skill is just is is fundamental to living. It's kind of what I hear you saying. Yeah, I I, I think that you took what I said and expanded upon it and tremendously. I think that there's, you know, it's, it's, it's how we take the things that live inside of our head, these intangible ideas, you know, imaginations and things like that and deliver them, you know, and 
I think that's interesting. What, what was there like a legislative like thing that said, Oh, improv is writing or was do you, are you aware of that or? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little like wonky with like the bylaws and things in the, um, in, in the agreements between these guilds and the, 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 like between the writers guild, the actors guild, the producers guild and the studios and like all the people that are, you know, mm. funding and producing the work. But yeah, like within the bylaws in, improv is, it's also, I, I mean, a weird industry thing that might help illustrate it is uh, reality TV shows. And I was actually, I was actually in New York for work and was sitting next to a reality producer uh, at a, re- at a bar. And like, we started talking and, fascinating story. This guy works on like all of the biggest shows and us kind of like just getting some, like, I, I don't watch reality TV. I don't really care, but I, I'm just interested in industry stuff. And and he was a cool guy. And mm-hmm. um, so for reality shows, reality shows do not employ writers. They only employ producers because they can't ever actually write down a story or develop a scene with the, reality talent they just Mm. have to create a scenario put the reality talent in the scenario and let it unfold because Mm. if they tell them too much about what to do or how to take the story or how to develop the scene or whatever it might be in the in the reality situation that's considered writing um wow yeah and so it's a really it's a really interesting thing i uh I'll dig up some stuff and share it with you and, and maybe like share out some stuff on stories or whatever for people that might be interested after this episode. But, um, but yeah, I think it's a really illustrative point about just writing and how important it is to life, you know, even when it comes to reality TV or Marvel blockbusters, you know, it's just like every, everything is writing pretty much for real. Yeah. For real. Um, okay. So you, uh, self-published two books first. Um, and then we're, we're, you know, here talking about, Phantoms, which is your most recent release earlier this year. Uh, obviously, we're going to link everything out so folks can 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 buy it. Um, and you, this one was published with with Dead Reckoning Collective, obviously friends of the show and friends in real life as well. Um, tell us a little bit about self publishing and what it was like for you to write these words and, and, and express these thoughts and feel, you know, comfort and validation through that process as you were, you know, serving and then, and then, um, separating. And then what was the move from self-publishing to publishing with DRC? Yeah, well, my first two books were self-published through, um, Kindle direct publishing, which at the time was called create space. Um, and that was just, uh, my first one was 2009. And a lot of that basically was just a collection of poetry that I had, <clears throat> pardon me, I had amassed uh, through the years as a teenager. Um, so some of that was written um, around the time of the deployment. Uh, that book is called uh, The Silent Whispers of Omens. And then I pu- self-published another book uh, a few years ago at this point in 2019, called the stones of the wooden wooded valley which again was another collection of poetry that i had amassed throughout you know span of about nine ten years um self-publishing is is okay for me uh i've learned a lot just uh getting through those phases and like getting the physical copies and stacking them up against something that's professionally published like they do at drc 
Um, you know, I, I think that there is something to be said with uh, just collaborating with people that you look up to, collaborating with people that inspire you, um, working with people that you have uh, just, you know, you follow them in, in whatever sense that that looks like, you know, whether it's social media or in real life or, you know, you, they're on your radar and DRC was, was one of those groups that have always been on my radar. So I think circa 2019, um, I started really kind of putting my motivation towards the potential of creating a manuscript that was for DRC. I wanted to publish something under DRC. That to me was just a personal goal. And I knew it was very attainable, <clears throat> not only because, you know, Keith and Tyler are my homies, <laughs> but because I know that my work is is, is fairly good. Um, and I, I thought that it would be able to hold its own uh, and, and be worthy of being under the DRC moniker. And um, so I started to, to toy around with uh, like a fictionalized narrative. I kept a really pretty in-depth journal uh, in Iraq. And I thought about maybe turning that into a collection of, you know, stories. But it just didn't click. Um, fiction has always been a real just motherfucker for me. It's, it's, it's hard for me to like get stuck with like a long-term fiction story. Um, so I, I, I went with poetry and it's, um, something that I'm very familiar with. I'm very comfortable with, and I'd like to think that I have a knack every once in a while, um, to create poems that can just encapsulate a story and, and allow maybe something that would span, you know, six, eight, ten thousand words into a page, into you know, three hundred words or something like that, and it's 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 something that I've crafted for years and years and years, um, and 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 this to me was like that culmination of, I think I have my own voice. I am confident in my ability to tell the stories that I want to tell and poetry allows that sort of um, to me as a musician, I like to write like a lot of like lyrical poetry. So while I do have some stuff that that is more classic poetry, a lot of stuff is to me like it, it's, it's supposed to be rhythmic. It's supposed to have a cadence. It's supposed to, not only entice your imagination, but it's also going to have some kind of flow. And sometimes it's rhyming. Sometimes it's just in the way that words are stacked against each other. And it, like I said, man, it's, it's been, I've been doing this for a long time. And whether it's lyrics for bands or poetry that I've self-published, um, you know, I, I, I was like, man, I think I can, finally start to kind of put my personal story about the Iraq deployment um, to rest with this kind of creative aspect. 
And I can also tell the stories kind of as a whole, not only about the unit that I served with, which, you know, a reserve unit going into own a very hostile territory in basically what was like the early ish beginnings of the Iraq war to me as like, even just very objectively as like a historian, you know, an amateur historian, I think that's super fascinating. And, um, you know, the guard and the reserves circa 2006 to 2009, they fucking held it down. Like they were taking care of really harsh AOs, whether it was Iraq, Afghanistan, Um, so, you know, part of me wanted to tell that story too. So the, the book really is a microcosm of like my personal story. And I thought that DRC was just going to be the best platform for that. I didn't want to self-publish that. I wanted to collaborate with people that I really looked up to. Um, I collaborated with my friend, Andrew, who is a lifelong friend. He's like a childhood like neighbor, like we grew up together. Um, he went to Norwich University. He turned down his commission as any smart person would uh, to pursue uh, architecture. He's an incredibly uh, fucking brilliant designer. And, you know, it was just, I, the cover, to me, is that when you say you collaborated with him, did he do the cover? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah, it's a beautiful cover. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, we, we were I had sent him a picture uh, from the deployment. I sent him a bunch of pictures and we sat down. We got together over coffee one day and, and I brought like all my DRC books that I had with me, basically kind of everything that had been published up to at that point. I think Rock Eater had just come out mm-hmm. and I was like, this is the catalog, you know, and like it was nice to have like a tangible face-to-face meeting, you know, like we were flipping through the books and like, we just shot the shit for an hour and a half or so, got to catch up. I hadn't seen him in, seen him in a long time. This was, you know, just about after lockdown when things started to kind of open up. Um, and he had been living on the West coast for a while. Um, you know, and he's a dad now he's, he's a new dad. So, you know, he's, he's got that whole dad life going, but yeah, no, it's, it's just been really great to me. The, one of the biggest things that I can do as an artist, like vulnerability wise, is to put my shit out there, not only to a potential audience and to a potential the, to the public, but to other artists and to allow them to, you know, critique it uh, and modify it and in in that you know, for music, I've been doing that for a long time. It's just, it's, that is just like such a step outside the comfort zone, but everything that I've ever collaborated, pardon me, everything I've ever collaborated on has been like basically my favorite stuff because when you have different minds that can look at what you're working on and, and tweak it, but you know that you're all, kind of following the same track you all have like a same like end goal that mission you have that that mission parameter basically when you can do that with like-minded people you're just gonna get incredible stuff that you didn't even know was was there in in some ways so 
I'm going to throw it back to you. I've talked way too yeah, much. No, I'm working on this project right now where I'm producing a, a commercial campaign for a brand. And I'm working with uh, freelancing for an ad agency and ad agency teams work. You know, there's like, a, you know, two creative directors, a, a creative director, copy, creative director, art. And then there's usually like an associate creative director kind of underneath. And then there's an art director and a copywriter. Right. So it's like kind of like that team approach. And we were in this um, supervised editing session with the post-production house yesterday, um, doing another one today with them. And we were exploring some different scene options from um, from one of the scenes that we shot for this for this commercial. And um, the one that the editor had chosen, her select was great. And then she had two more selects that were pretty good. And one of the team members, the ACD, she asked if uh, we could look through the rest of the string out of the selects just to see if there was something she was particularly looking for as a creative that she wanted to see if it was an option. So we did, we took like 20 minutes to do it. We all looked through it together. We're on zoom, you know, doing the whole thing. And ultimately we ended up sticking with the three selects that the editor had chosen. And we stuck with the one that she had in there and the, the, the ACD, she said, um, she said, Hey, sorry guys, I didn't mean to take us off of a, you know, into like a 20 minute um, kind of like derailment. And I, I said, you know, no, that's, this is why we work in teams. You had a thought you, you wanted to see some options. We explore those options. We ultimately didn't find anything there, but there's so much value in the fact that all of us are working towards the same goal, like as you just described. And it might require that one of us has an idea that might take us somewhere else and we should explore that. And sometimes it's fruitful and sometimes it's not, but it's actually always fruitful because going through that process together as a collaborative unit um, is great for the next iteration of, of, the, of the, the process. Um, so I, I love that you said that. So you, you actually, you actually just jogged something. I was trying to figure out how to ask you this next question and you, you just, you just kind of brought it home, but I, I want to try to see if we can dig a little deeper. So you, sure. you have a confidence about you that I, I greatly respect because it's not arrogance at all. And it's, and you're not self-deprecating either. Like I'm always kind of waiting for you to be a little bit more self-deprecating and you're actually not, you, you're, you're confident in your abilities. You're confident in your craft and you're confident in the other piece, which is like that collaboration too. So as you said, I wanted to get published by DRC and I knew it was achievable. Like how does that kind of confidence that you have and the way that you kind of walk down the middle of that path affect your process or does it drive your process? Like how, I just, there's a lot of writers that aren't confident in what words they're going to put down on paper. And they're kind of like trying to hope that it's good enough but like, you know, that it's going to be good enough and you're already planning to refine, like, how, how does that work? Like, what, what is your, what does it look like when you're writing? Is that a clear question too? <laughs> um, I'll try and answer it. And um, hopefully, you know, if we, if we need to backtrack a little bit, we can. Um, well, I, I think it comes with the, the idea that I had already self-published, the the idea that I took, you know, about 10 years in between the first two books and it allowed me time to just put stuff out there, one, and two, to, to distance myself from these pieces. Um, that allowed me to continue getting reps in, but also over the years to kind of compare and contrast like what I'm doing now versus what I've put out in, in lives, you know, publicly. And that was kind of, and, and cause I don't like to compare myself to other artists. Um, I think 
art is completely subjective. Everyone has their own voice. Everyone is going on their own way and is at their own point in their journey. So to me to look over and be like, well, shit, I could do better than that. You know, that is that arrogance. And, you know, I, I don't vibe with that at all. To me, like I can look over and I can see what other people are doing and whether or not I like it doesn't matter. But I can say, OK, yeah, OK, that's that's the level of that's the threshold. Let's say, you know, Poppies for me is one of my favorite poetry books uh, that DRC has put out. Granted, every, DRC, I think, has proven to put out very high quality work. But, you know, Poppies is to me personally, subjectively speaking, that's the top of the heap. And. You know, so I looked at that. I was like, all right, that's the bar there. I'm not going to compare my work to that because my voice and Amy's voice are completely different. But I can compare my voice to my voice because I have two things that I have already established. You know, did I do any marketing for them? No. Did I put any money into like campaigns and shit like that? Not at all. Like I just put these things out there. I guess maybe retro retrospectively in the sense that I just wanted to have markers to have in my life that I could say, okay, this is where I was in 2009. And here I am now in 2020, like how, where are my strengths and weaknesses, you know, and I can run, you know, an internal analysis there and be like, you know, and, and, and here's, I'll, I'll get arrogant here for a second. I was looking at myself 2020 and 20 in 2009 and being like, I've gotten better. I've gotten a lot better. And I've, you know, where in the first book I might have written one or two like poems that will, you know, hit you upside the head. Like phantoms has several. And I was, I was looking for that. I was trying to objectively distance myself a bit from this work and be like, okay, like, you know, here I am 10 years later, I'm about to release my second book. I can look back at my first book and say, <clears throat> oh yeah, here's two really strong poems that I want to make sure I live up to those And you know, oh, okay, well the second book now has five of those. Okay, cool. So I could see my own progress getting there. Um, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me and me measuring progress and acknowledging progress is, is not arrogance. I appreciate you being vulnerable there, because uh, because you you answered that perfectly, and 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 um, yeah, for the for those who for those who yeah, go back and listen to that little snippet again, because what Ben just said is is right. And shouts out to Amy Sex Hour, who's the best. Um, she's been on the show. Go back and listen to her episode too. Um, I, I I I agree. She's she's incredible, and that book is incredible. Okay, last thing on Phantoms before we do a one eighty and and really blow people's minds. Um, so I love that you um, you open up the book with appreciate and depreciate. Um, and it's super cool because you put words to paper that describe a lot of our feelings in our community, uh, which is um, we we are uh, we believe in who we are and what we do. Um, and we don't always believe in who our government is and what they do. Um, but we also understand that we are agents of, of that government and we're also citizens of a country and the government and country are two different things. 
Can you describe why, and you don't have to go too deep into it, um, the actual words, because I want people to read them and I want people to obviously buy the book and read the book, but can you describe why you framed your this collection that way? Yeah, I've gotten a lot of really great feedback regarding the appreciate and depreciate sections. Um, I think the book as itself, as a whole, really was meant to explore the dichotomy that is military service, particularly during, um, you know, the global war on terrorism post nine 11, uh, world. And to open it up with, you know, what I consider like, you know, maybe two short kind of essays, um, they're, they're much more, um, they're much more structured as essays versus the rest of the book, which is very poetic lyrically or otherwise. I thought that it would just be a nice way to kind of just establish that dichotomy right off the bat to establish the, the terrain that we are going to be exploring. It is the guide map to the rest of the book. Um, the, Cover art has a bunch of topography lines going through the smoke. Uh, if you look at it pretty closely, that was completely intentional. It is designed, the book is designed to be like a map to our very complex feelings as, you know, post 9-11 veterans. Uh, it, but also it's, it's, it's for the people too. It's not just for the veterans too. It's, it's for the citizens that we thought about, uh, you know, when we were overseas, it's for the citizens that have lost family members and friends, uh, whether in combat or out of combat training, you know, or, or other tragedies. And it's, it's supposed to, set the kind of left and right lateral limits of what we're going to be exploring in the book or, or what I want to explore in the book. And that's just kind of the way that I have kind of been putting it out there. And uh, yeah, so it, it's kind of the, that, that that's the best way that I could describe it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. And, and for those that, that might be wondering exactly what it is that we're talking about, go buy phantoms. Um, We'll have the link in, in the show notes and uh, and in the, the bio on, on IG and um, and go pick it up and, and, and read it. Um, all right. So let's let's flip this. Let's turn on a dime uh, and let's let's talk about something that people might not know about, which is that you have a YouTube channel. That's right. Let's let's chat about it. Tell us about it. What is it? Yeah. What do you explore? What do you do? My friend uh, Brandon and I have been longtime music collaborators, and uh, we decided one day to start a YouTube channel that was designed to basically kind of like talk about like the New England music community. Uh, we have a pretty robust metal scene up here. Um, so the, the channel itself is called Forge Master Metal Reviews, and we talk about metal music and, and review a lot of metal music. Um, so we grew that uh, completely organically. We have been at it since February 2020 was our first upload. Uh, we just hit, I think, like 16,700 subs. 
Um, so we're getting, you know, recognition from the, uh, from the community. We've, you know, and, and we're, it's, it's wild because I'm trying to kind of like build this a little bit as a, a, a digital media business, um, you know, kind of taking inspiration from, uh, things like Smosh, you know, they have like a fucking giant production company behind them and just kind of, we've been really focused on music reviews and talking about that stuff. But our, our passion has always been, uh, you know, like sketches, comedy, stuff like that. So we're trying to like incorporate the, don't look for any of this anytime soon, but we're trying to incorporate that kind of stuff. But, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just been wild. It's, it's a cool, uh, way to, do something creative. Uh, I have basically <clears throat> taken my uh, professional uh, talents as a longtime camera operator and editor. Uh, I, most of my professional uh, digital media career was done in the editing uh, room, the post-production room and or behind the camera. I still do sports videography now and again. Uh, but I'm kind of I'm moving away from doing that professionally and going into trying to put all of that effort into the Forge Master thing, possibly branding, you know, opening that up into a, like I said, like a digital media production thing. Um, so it, it's just been uh, wild to kind of leave that industry and feel like I'm doing just about as much work as I was uh, you know, w lots of writing, lots of research, uh, lots of behind the scenes stuff uh, that, you know, we're trying to kind of bring into the fold a little more. But obviously, I have a lot of stuff on my plate, so I'm not like as good at like social media stuff and all that. But yeah, no, it's it's I just uh, we, we started making a little bit of money this year through ad revenue. I just, you know, bought a really nice lighting kit. We're going to try and uh, you know, cycle some of that cash to fund our music videos and, and just higher production stuff. So it when I start seeing that stuff, I'm like, all right, well, business starts to ring in my head and like, well, there's there's obviously opportunities here. And um, so, yeah, I've been we've been doing that for a few years. And uh, now that I am trying to find like a professional career in the IT world, I'm definitely going to be continuing to focus uh, my, you know, digital media efforts into the Forge Master thing. So, yeah, it's um, man, a few threads I want to pull on. Uh, I guess first one being like, how much value do you find in having another interest and another outlet? artistically that isn't specifically related to your military service or is that even a thought that you have right like because your 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 poetry at least this collection is tended to be about that and then forge master isn't like do you do you recognize that is that intentional do you see value in that like how, how do you think about that i only really think about it when it blows people's mind that I tell them that I was like a Marine and, you know, was like in yeah. Iraq and stuff like that. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, I, f I forgot about that. And right. or I forget that, that you don't know that, or that you don't think about that about me. Um, those 
two things rarely ever intersect for me. Um, sometimes they do, like if it's kind of relevant, like there's this metal band called Fallujah and I always rag on their name <laughs> because I'm like, why would you call a band like, I mean, all right, I was going to call I was going to bring up Chicago and then I was like, oh shit, that's a really good band actually. <laughs> right, 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 right. But yeah, but I was like, yeah, this is a bunch of white dudes from the Midwest calling their band Fallujah. It's just super edgy. Um, but, um, yeah, no, they, they don't really intersect for me and I'm, that's just kind of part of my personality too. I think, um, that's actually what I'm, that's actually what I'm driving at is it's not like asking where they connect, but recognizing that they don't connect a lot. Like, and, and, and kind of back to what, what we were talking about in the upfront, right. Where you were talking about being in the Marines, but also kind of having this artsy approach to like different things. Like I, I personally feel like there's a ton of value and, I also struggle with it a little bit myself, right? Where it's like, I started this podcast and I'm creating content around that, but then I have my other career that's creative and I have an outlet for things that aren't veteran centric or military centric. I don't want to be pigeonholed on the veteran military side, but I also don't want to not serve the community this way, but I also don't want to let go of opportunities that might come, you know, so it's like this weird kind of dance. And I just, it's, I guess it's cool that you don't really think about that. It doesn't sound like in a good, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. You're just, living your life, doing your work on this side and doing your work on that side. And, and, and they both can kind of coexist simultaneously. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are the getting reps in with writing is essential and doing forge master also allows me to kind of get those reps in even like unintentionally sometimes, uh, whether it's, you know, just writing about, uh, what I think about our, our record or, you know, just writing notes about old stuff that we, that we kind of talk about. Um, it's, it, it's good to get the reps in and, and that's where I really appreciate the intersection between, I mean, it's not even an intersection though. I think like writing is just such like a undercurrent of like my life. You yeah. know, it's like, I feel like everything I do, even in the IT world, it's like reports, you can't, I, I can't not write reports, you know, and, and I can't not write like, like research shit. And, uh, or even like, I'll, I'll do like, uh, speaking of Amy, uh, this is probably a good time to shout it. Um, October 31st, I am joining, um, Chris Meyer and Kat Dexter and Nick Esfastu and Eamon Cafail and Dave Campesiano, uh, up in Boston. We are doing the Savage Wonderground ghost story, that is, uh, it's an invite only kind of thing. It's kind of exclusive and cool. Uh, I'm not sure when this is supposed to come out, but uh, around that time, uh, around the time this drops, hopefully this will uh, be happening already. So October 31st, that's happening in Boston. But um, yeah, even after I do like performances and stuff, I think for the Savage Wonderground, the first time I did that up in New York, I wrote like a fucking 600 page like after action report for chris and <laughs> i was just i can't help it i can't help it yeah yeah, yeah. no no doubt um yeah because that reminds me i gotta get with yeah this will come out before to look at the schedule I yeah think. i don't mean to put you on the spot for your no 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 you're good. This, I mean, this is an october episode we're recording this on the 28th of september for people who know that but yeah this will be you know what is that 24 Oh yeah, this will be the week before. Great. Um, so yeah, if people are hearing that, it'll be the week before. 
Yeah. Uh, so ne- next week we'd be in Boston. <laughs> yeah. So next week we're going to be in Boston. Some of us are going to be those of us who get invited. I guess I don't know. I got to. I did because I, I went to the Savage uh, Winter Ground in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm mm-hmm. in Richmond, so I went to that uh, earlier this this year, end of last year, earlier this year. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, definitely want to try to try to make it up to that one, especially because I we love like when we lived in New York City, we did uh, like a lot of the walking tours. Um, and see like historical stuff, like gangster walking tours and different things. And then we did a couple uh, ghost ones around Halloween a few years ago. And then there's like the Christmas ghost ones and all that stuff. I love, I love that. Um, and Boston's obviously a great, a great uh, city and venue for all of that. So, uh, yeah. so Chris and Savage Wonderground um, uh, next week. Um, so, so for the YouTube channel, this might be interesting for people to hear because and it's something I'm doing myself right now, right? Like I've focused on the IG and I've focused on LinkedIn and I've focused on that kind of side of, of relationship building and networking to, to, to both grow the audience and get good guests as well as just kind of like hone my craft on the content creation side. But as I'm trying to figure out how to scale the, the YouTube page and like what that looks like, you know, I'm stuck at 12, you know, 12 subs right now or whatever it is. And I'm not, not being self-deprecating on purpose. It's just, it is where I'm at. And so it's, it takes, um, skill and intention to kind of build a YouTube channel. So what was that like for y'all to start with zero? Everybody starts at zero from scale from zero to one. And then like, what did that process look like? And talk us through the, the, like how you've been able to slowly, it seems like an intentionally increase production value to not get too far ahead of yourself financially, right? To like wait until you kind of get some of that ad revenue and then you can start to purchase some of the things that will increase the production value. Like what what was your thought process? What was that partnership like as you built the channel, started the channel and then scaled it? Yeah, uh, so the the first iterations of it, if you go back and watch our, our in first episodes, uh, they were very, I come from, Production wise, I come from the uh, uh, public access field. I spent about five, six years as a production coordinator in a public access studio, which is, you know, it is what it is. Um, but it was kind of of that vein. It was very like talking head uh, with like, you know, trying to talk about music and stuff like that. Um, as we started to grow a bit, um, we, I started to to read the comments, which is both horrific and essential if you want to know what your audience is looking for. Um, we have changed since. Uh, I'd like to think that the production quality was always a little bit higher than our, um, I don't want to say competitors, but, you know, the rest of the landscape. Um, a lot of people were just like, using their phones, you know, zero cutaways, zero B real stuff like that. I came from, uh, like I said, uh, uh, I did a year at Hasbro as a, as in a post-production department. So that was kind of cool to see like the upper levels of like, you know, the uh, corporate post-production. And then I did about five, six years, uh, public access. So, uh, you know, to me, production quality was always important, um, so we, you know, had decent cameras, we had microphones, you know, that whole kind of thing. We weren't just like opening up our phone app and shooting. Uh, since then I have been able to invest a little bit, uh, you know, spent, a, spent some cash on a nice little Wacom. I like to edit with a, 
with a pen and a tablet. It, it's just nicer for me. Um, but it was more or less just kind of looking at the rest of the landscape, seeing the the upper echelons. I think the the top of the heap is this uh, company called Banger uh, Media. They they run Banger TV for anyone who's in the metal culture they released this huge documentary i think it's called like metal a headbanger's journey it was like circa 2000 early mid 2000s and it was basically one of the biggest heavy metal oriented documentaries that's like ever been produced cool. and it just launched this company um so that's kind of the 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 that's the industry standard if you ask me uh is this canadian company called banger tv Banger Media, I think, is the parent company. And um, so they were kind of the ones that I was always like, all right, like these guys have set the bar. Like we need to kind of be at that level or at least try to strive for that level. Um, since then, um, we found our own voice. Um, Brandon and I are very like goofy. Uh, we don't like to be separate from each other when we shoot we like to be in the same room um we found that we had to during covid you know we were we were separate we were remote and things like that and we found that the it was fine and we just had to stay consistent we were putting out stuff you know sometimes twice a week the consistency was really huge it was essential um even when to me, it wasn't like I look back at a lot of those videos. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, like quality wise and shit. But I, it's to me, I care way more than the audience. Uh, it, it seems, you know, I think that every once in a while there's somebody who's like, oh, you know, the name of that person in the voiceover didn't match the name of the the drummer. That's actually his name. His real name is Mike. Something. It's like I don't you know, thank you for pointing out that mistake, but they're so rare yeah. that to me, most of the audience doesn't give a shit about high production quality. They appreciate it. They don't come to expect it. And actually as of kind of lately, I've been cutting back a little bit on like being very heavy handed with the cutaways and the B roll and stuff. I've been trying to, it, it it's, it's crazy to me. Like if if you were to kind of on the fly produce something at like in a corporate environment, like you'd be get you'd like get fired. Like you there's no there's no room. Like it's like this is the channel that you have to stick in. But with the YouTube thing, it's like, oh well, you know, I can fucking this video this week can be a little higher quality and have a little bit more cutaways and stuff like that. And then the other video is like a vlog with very little cutaways and stuff. As long as the audio sounds good, as long as, you know, things are mainly in focus, there's stuff that I never thought like I'd be able to get away with. And like, we have these crappy videos that have like thousands of views. And I'm like, what? Like, why? But, you know, that's me holding myself to standards that I guess the, the, the modern audience, the YouTube audience, they're not they're not really looking for that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all of that is so very well said. I think the, 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 it's like a, it's a, it's a two step process. And then the second step is iterative, right? The, the first step is find a North star, find somebody or a, a, a unit or a platform or a, or a channel or a whatever that you 
respect, appreciate that you want to emulate in some ways. And then the second step is tinker and find your voice. And then, like I said, that second step just keeps iterating, right? Like once you have a North star and you start somewhere and then you move forward on the first step to, to work like, you know, I, all those, all those, you know, classic, like uh, creative memoir, you know, creative, you know, um, bullshitty books, you know, they all say the same thing, like, you know, steal like an artist, right? Like, you know, just, you know, copy the, you know, copy somebody first, and then it'll kind of fall into place. And, and it's a little cheeky and a little cheesy, but it's basically true, which is find something or someone that you think does a great job at the thing that you want to do, emulate it in the best way that you can, but find your voice and, and keep finding your voice as you just move through the work. And, and I love what you said, which is some videos are going to be like this and some videos are going to be like this because that's our intention to tell this story on this video this way and this story on this video this way. And you're, just, and you're, you're constantly moving. You're making more videos anyway. So it's not like you have any time to wonder if the vlog style video is good enough anyway because you're already making the next one. Yeah, it's very, very fast paced. We've been trying to shoot in mass in bulk uh so that way we could stay ahead of it um but and i think to get to a point to uh that you just said emulation in 2023 is like the norm basically and and we've chatted with some like big time uh there's this fella matt bacon who goes by his like moniker is bacon bits and he has like he's very well branded he works in like the uh, like marketing in metal. He's like, I don't know if he's like a tour manager, but he does like a lot of metal marketing and it, he has his brand. He's got long, like curly, dirty blonde hair and he's got a big fucking cigar. And that's his thing. Every like shot he opens up with, he's got a big cigar and he never smokes it, but it's like, that's part of the, his like shtick is, but this guy, he emulation in 2023 is expected. Like half of almost all of his content and he gets, you know, tons and tons of views and he's working for like the biggest labels out there. He is just like sitting there with his cigar in like to the left of him, you know, it's like a split video and he's just like, yeah, this is what's happening. And what he's grabbing a podcast clip or he's grabbing a video clip from somebody else. And he was like, yep, yep, yep. And then, you know, at the end of it, he expands a little bit and he's like, yeah, if you want to learn more, hit me up. Blah, blah, blah. The dude's just on it. He, he yeah. And I'm like, wow, like I can't do that. You know, like Brandon, the other my my cohort, my partner uh, in Forge Master is really good at like the social media stuff. He's great. At, he makes all the thumbnails. He like adjusts like the description and stuff, making sure that we're solid for our SEO uh, making sure that, you know, we're we're rubbing that YouTube algorithm the right way to try and get, you know, something to. But we've learned, like, basically at this point, it the, the field is so crowded, but there is like almost an expectation that you're going to be doing Instagram style videos like people want the text in your face and they don't care that it's not generated in nuke and it's like fucking you know cinematic and you they would just want text and and to me in my mind i was like that's lame like that's fucking that's not good yeah. but but we do it and it's like they love it and, and and the the audience doesn't know what they want a lot of the times and and to be cognizant of that and but also on, on the flip side of that i love 
paradoxes and in, in, in dichotomies. On the flip side of that, you have to ask them what they want to make sure that you're on track with, you know, the birth of what yeah. you're going to be giving them, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's your left and right lateral limits, realizing that the audience doesn't know what they want and making sure that you're in tune with what they want. That's right. I've having worked on in commercial advertising for the last 10 or so years, it's obviously come up in conversation quite a bit as we go through creative development on different projects for different audiences and different generations. Right. So it's like there's millennials and then there's Gen Z and all of that. Right. And also, also obviously we do omni channel um, campaigns. Right. So it's like there's stuff on, on meta, on YouTube, on TikTok, on snap, on, you know, everything, right. Digital banners and all that stuff. And I hear creative directors really get frustrated because some see the future and they're like, yeah, let's make the YouTube style, IG style, TikTok style content. And then the others are like, no, we want to make beautiful cinematic content. And I'm, I'm definitely biased personally towards the more cinematic content. I've talked about this here before as well. And I, it just kind of clicked into place for me when, when you were just speaking it's not that the YouTube, IG, TikTok doesn't have production value. It's that it is a different kind of production value. And there are standards and there are things that those audiences like subconsciously or consciously. And it is important to like tap into it. So the creative directors, you know, that I've worked with, they're like, ah, just slap some text on screen, you know, and no color grade and like, they'll be fine. It's not that it's actually, we got to be intentional. Like I, I work with TikTok creators and IG creators, you know, to make sure that we're tailoring the content for each of these, you know, brand campaigns that were and content campaigns that we're putting out kind of like hit that style perfectly, not just don't have a style at all. And then obviously, you know, we all hope to be able to make the TV commercials and the online videos that have that more cinematic quality, but you know, sometimes you're able to find ways to bridge those gaps and do fun things. I think it's a really, I think that's a really good point for people to, to hear. It's like, yeah, there's different ways to create and you really need to understand the audience. And it's important to understand that the audience might not understand exactly what they like or why they like what they like. And I don't want to get into the algorithms and what those platforms are doing to us subconsciously. That's a, a entirely other conversation, but a valid one, but just not the one that we're having here. Um, all right, cool. So, uh, kind of wrap things up here. Um, where can, uh, where can folks find you, uh, on, on social, on the internet? Well, obviously we'll link out DRC's website, Amazon store and all that stuff for the book. Um, where can folks find you for your writing? And then where can folks find you for uh, forge master? Where do you want to drive traffic? Yeah, I guess, uh, BenjaminFortier.com is a pretty good landing page. I try to put most of my uh, social links in there and stuff. I also have a hop bio. I think it's like the new Wix the competition for linked tree. It's like a oh, yeah. link portal. But I've been using that because I've been using Wix and stuff. I think that's in my like Instagram profile. My Instagram profile is public. I don't I don't know how I feel about that, but it is what it is. Um, I, I had a private profile for like the longest time. And then I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta brand myself as an author and it's, it's whatever. Um, so yeah, I think uh, Benjamin 40 is where you can find me. I have uh, 
some stories on there. Um, I have a, an article on the Havoc Journal that just came out. Um, so yeah, I got some stuff floating around. Uh, but I'd say BenjaminFortier.com is the best place to start. Awesome. All right. We are on to our open-ended question to end to end the show here. What's on your heart and your mind for our community, whether it's something you just want to get off your chest or piece of advice or something you want to reiterate from what we've talked about today? What's on your heart and what's on your mind? Uh, I think just because it's it's kind of relevant. I saw this clip, uh, Tom Satterley and his wife run uh, a podcast. Uh, I think it's. It's under their All Secure Foundation. Yeah, a moniker. I wasn't sure if that's what the name of the podcast is, but I think I think it is. Um, they just had uh, Tyler Gray on there, who is you know a pretty well known uh, soft actor, you know, soft guy turned actor, and he said uh, something that really clicked with me. That was um, and, and clicked with a lot of people, I'm sure too. That is related i don't want to steal his thunder but i definitely recommend everyone go check out that clip on the owl secure foundation pages and stuff um but he basically said that when we're in the military um regardless and, and i felt this way too even as a reservist you know you are so interconnected with your identity as your 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 job is your identity and when we get out even for, you know, part-timers, so many of us hold on to that and are finding it very difficult to kind of reintegrate into what our identity means outside of the uniform and outside of service. Um, so I definitely just want to encourage all of our, you know, all of your listeners, whether you're thinking about going in, whether you're in, whether you're getting out, um, you know, whether you got a family member, just to just to kind of start to keep that in the back of your mind um, that, you know, and, and I think it's a it's a social thing. I don't think it's just like a military thing. I think that as a country, we are very um, we are we identify with our vocation. Um, and I don't know, I'm not going to say that that's right or wrong, but there's definitely a lot of second order of effects that have uh, contributed to the uh, mental health and suicide, uh, you know, epidemic, uh, particularly among veterans, particularly among older veterans. Uh, the Vietnam era has been ravaged by suicides. Um, so I just think that I'm unpacking, I'm unpacking so much here, but um, I, I think that we all kind of need to just take a step back and, and realize that even going back to hundreds of years of American society, you know, um, we have culturally identified with what we do as who we are. And we need to start considering that for our military folks, whether they're four years as an air national guard or 40 years in SOCOM, when they take that uniform off, they are going to have some kind of crisis. It might be immediately, it might be five or 10 years down the road, but there is an impending crisis that's waiting. And I don't mean to sound dramatic, but it's probably going to happen. And I'd say the writing is on the walls at this point. So um, to summarize, I think um, 
people just need to we need to be a little bit more aware socially that um we as americans when we take our jobs as like our identity there are second order effects to that so i think that's really well said tom and jen are coming on the show um oh awesome in november and their episode dude that's great live in december yeah they're great i love we love them um I haven't listened. I haven't listened to that episode yet. As of the recording, as of as of the airing of this, I probably will have. Um, so I can't speak specifically to it. But I think you bring up a great point, both for our military and for for the for the average American citizen as well. Um, what we do is not who we are, and who we are is not what we do. They inform each other, and we need to do a better job of integrating those things. I think as us, as a culture, as an American culture, we were hyper-focused on balance for far too long, whether that's work-life balance or any other sort of balance. Balance is impossible. Um, and balance uh, honestly, isn't that good of a thing to have. We need to integrate these things and integrate elements of who we are and what we do into our everyday life and kind of like how we move forward and think of things in seasons. Don't think of things in, I'm always trying to, you know, I mean, that's like, that's to get nerdy to end this. Like that's the whole point of like that Avengers saga, how that ended right with like Thanos was obsessed with balancing the universe and the, the cost of balancing that universe was wiping out half of all life. Um, and that's, that's when we hyper-focus on balance, we get very binary, very fast. And that's a lot of times what leads to, um, to, you know, the, the suicide epidemic, which is certainly, um, our community is front and center there, but we're also not the only ones experiencing that epidemic. We have a mental health crisis in this country for, I think a lot of these reasons. So, uh, well said, I appreciate you bringing that up. It's a good way to end this. Thanks, Carrie. It's been a it's been a great pleasure. Yeah, man. Looking forward to doing it again. Uh, appreciate the support and um, and appreciate you uh, coming on and 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 bear, bearing with the technical difficulties and the and the last minute time and date changes here. So um, excited to share this with everybody and excited to uh, keep the conversation going. Awesome, man. All right, brother.